This is Cabernet and True Crime, the place where good wine and true crime come together. Hello, friends. Uh, it's me, <laughs> your girl. Um, no, that was weird. I'm sorry. Um, hi, welcome to True Crime Tuesday. How's everybody doing? We doing good? I hope so. I hope everybody's staying mentally stable in these times because I'm sure not. No, I'm just kidding. Except I'm not. Um, hi. So welcome to the new and mildly improved Cabernet and True Crime. Um, I am your host, Jana, as I have been and always will be. Penny's in the room because she's not feeling very good. So if you if you hear anything alarming, I am sorry in advance. That is my dog. She grunts when she breathes. There she is. Um, so she's here to help me today on this uh, this wonderful Tuesday evening. <laughs> Better late than never, right? Okay, so I wanted to let you all know um, that I am doing a new schedule update featuring a new thing um and this is going to be a new thing better than the old new thing because i scratched that idea nobody liked it um and even it became a chore for me and as i've said a thousand times on this channel i don't like um doing stuff that's not fun because then it's a chore so um the new schedule update between the instagram facebook no i don't do facebook I mean, I do, I guess. I don't know. I don't really ever pay attention to it. So if you ever go on Facebook, I'm sorry if I don't uh, respond because I uh, don't really like Facebook all that much, um, except for cat videos. I'm into that. Um, so for Instagram, the podcast, and YouTube, um, okay, so Monday will still be Murder Me Monday because that is one of my favorite days of the week. Tuesday will be True Crime Tuesday, which will be a podcast. Wednesday will be on Instagram for Weird Crime Wednesday, which is a hit with the folk. Everybody loves that. Um, which I do too. They're fun to find out. Mostly it's just Florida. I don't know what's going on in Florida. I couldn't tell you, but that the Florida people, you make everything great. I love you, Florida. Um, and then a new addition, Conspiracy Theory Thursday for YouTube, which I just filmed my first, well, kind of second episode of Conspiracy Theory Thursday, um, which will always be on YouTube. I hope to do it once a week because um, there are a lot of really interesting conspiracy theories out there and I want to research them all. Um, Friday will still remain Forensics Files Friday as it has been. Saturday will be my day off and then I have a new name for it because I just had a stroke of genius earlier today. Um, serially Short Sunday. <laughs> uh, because I can never come up with a name for it. So it's going to be Serially Short Sunday, um, which will either be a podcast or on YouTube. I guess it depends on the time and the effort that I'm willing to put into it. <laughs> um, so yes, look forward for those things. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, my handle is Cabernet and True Crime. Um, I'll keep an update of everything that's going on as I as they happen. Yes. Okay. So with the intro out of the way, this one I had a lot of fun researching because um, y'all know I love me a good Cleveland crime and uh, it's fascinating to live in a city with such history and you never know about any of it, I guess. Um, now I stumbled across this a while ago. A while ago? Sure. Um, but it was just a name in a year and it happened in Northeast Ohio and I just was like, well, whatever. Um, I figured it was close to home literally, and uh, figured I'd research it later. Well, I started researching it, and friends, 
This is interesting. Also, if you can hear a vibrating sound, my boyfriend is shaving a shirt. It's not weird. I just realized you might be able to hear that. I'm not in the podcast closet because it'd be weird to be have me and my dog in the podcast closet. So I'm sitting on the floor of my bedroom. Um, okay, let's get into it. Velma Van Wart was born in 1906 in good old Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio. Um, so have you seen my Cleveland torso killer video, which I highly recommend because um, it's a fascinating video and it's still probably one of my most favorite videos to date, even though I didn't know how to record or edit anything. Um, it's up there on my top three. No, top one. It's my favorite. <laughs> Um, let me remind you a couple things if you haven't seen that video, and if, um, you, well, if you have seen that video, I'm gonna remind you of things, and if you haven't, you should go watch it, um, and tell me what you think about it, because it's one of my favorite things I've ever done in my, in my whole life. Um, okay, so, um, in the early 20th century, Cleveland was known as the sixth city, um, because it was the sixth largest city in the United States at the time. Very creative, very, uh, original, innovative name. Um... The automotive industry was taking off. The mayor at the time put a lot of work and energy over several years to make the city great. Uh, in 1916, the museum, uh, the Cleveland Museum of Art was opened and the Cleveland Orchestra was established in 1918. Um, then the Roaring 20s hit and Cleveland really boomed. In 1920, the Cleveland Indians won their first World Series championship. Cleveland was the fifth biggest city in the nation, and the flapper era brought fashion to downtown Cleveland, which at the time was arguably compared to New York's Fifth Avenue. Get yourself some Cleveland pride. Hey! Hey! Sorry, my cat was scratching at the door. It's just pure chaos today. Just bear with me. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so Velma, our gal, grew up in the big city on the east side, uh, she agreed at the age of 19 to marry a man named, or a man named, a man aged 56, um, who owned a restaurant where she took her lunch breaks. And shortly before the wedding was to occur, she called it off and married a farmer named Thomas Edward West um, in 1926. So upon their marriage in 1926, she moved to the small rural town of Perry, Ohio. So to put it into perspective... The town that I grew up in, actually the village that I grew up in, because it wasn't even a town, it was too small to be a town, it was a village that I grew up in, um, is smaller than Perry. And my dad actually works in Perry at the nuclear power plant. Hi, Penny. Yes, your grandpa works at Perry. Um, so the population of Perry now is estimated to be 1,626 people. And in 1920 to 1930, the census said there was an average of 500 people living in the town of Perry at the time. So do with that information what you will. Um, right off the rip, things go really south for our girl Velma. Um, because, you know, she grew up in the city with this, the, the bars and the lights and the music and the streets and the fashion and... She was a, a modern woman, that phrase, which we've seen before in several podcasts or maybe some episode of something. I've, I've described this whole term before, but basically the modern woman is like the, the, the renaissance woman of her time. She wanted to cook, clean, be, you know, have a vote, have, you know, that, that's, I'm trying to think of the words, but I'm not good at thinking on the spot. What? <laughs> um, but you know what I'm trying to say. 
Um, she had a mind of her own. She smoked cigarettes. She had an opinion. Um, she wore scandalous clothes. She loved the nightlife, which um, in the booming city probably went unnoticed uh, because that's how everybody was at the time in downtown Cleveland. Um, but in Perry, she ruffled the feathers of the 499 other people in that town. Um, in fact, she was widely ostracized um, because she didn't get along with the women of Perry, um, the couple, which so she and Tom frequently made their way towards Cleveland um, to visit with uh, Velma's friend group. So, I mean, three to four times a week they were driving. It's about 45 minutes to an hour from Perry to Cleveland. Um... Unfortunately, though, three to four times a week wasn't enough for Velma, and it was too much for her husband. Um, Ed, as he went, uh, started acting out toward his wife, um, saying that she should stay home, and it was causing more arguments than not, just because, like, she constantly wanted to go to Cleveland, and he had absolutely no interest in it. Um, So there was a very... uh, Opposites do not attract in this situation is the vibe that I'm getting. Or they did, and then they immediately repel each other. So on December 6th, 1927, Velma had planned on going to a bridge party in Cleveland. Um, Ed had, according to Velma, already agreed to the engagement. And um, when it came time to leave, Ed was like, no, we're not going. And he reportedly said, quote, I won't have you running around with that crowd. Velma, though, according to her story, had strongly ignored him and continued to get ready, and that is when Ed hit his wife. Um, so she threatened to leave, um, like, for good, and Ed told her he would kill her if she tried, so Velma, according to her story, picked up a nearby hammer and hit him until he stopped moving, um, thinking he was only passed out. These are her words her story. Thinking he was only passed out, she tied his hands and feet with a cord and tied a handkerchief over her his mouth. Uh, she burned her blood-soaked dress and went out for that bridge party. Um, so, when I got this information from, I found like a crime scene photo and some information. I think it was from the Case Western Reserve uh, Cleveland History site, and I will you know, read this to you. Um, so on the night of December 6, 1927, Velma West picked up a claw hammer and struck her husband in the head between six and eight times. Blood spatter and wounds suggested the victim fell to the floor early on and made multiple attempts to get up during the initial blows. Um, the murderess then covered her husband's face with a pillowcase and continued her attack with the hammer. She then proceeded to roll the body over and strike her victim's head with a detached wooden table leg. Um... Following his death, Velma tied Eddie's wrists and legs with twine in order to give the impression of a robbery. She then burned her clothes and some of the bedsheets in the cellar, dressed out, dressed up for a night out, and drove to a friend's home to attend a bridge party. Um, it is not known what prompted the brutal attack. And then it said that accounts later said that Velma was expressed her unhappiness with the situation, and um, that was just that. So apparently they were known to fight a lot. But um, her her, you know, hitting him just a couple times with a hammer is very different than what you see in the uh, crime scene photos. And um, from that story, obviously, I'm assuming those numbers come from, like, a coroner's report. Uh, Yeah, she didn't just kind of, like... Looking at the crime scene photos, there's no way she thought he was just passed out. Let's just say that. He looks very, very dead in the crime scene photos. So just, you know... Put that in your back pocket to save for later. Um, the next morning, 
Velma and her mom went shopping at Gordon Square, which is in downtown Cleveland. Um, so presumably, presumably she spent the night in the city. Um, she bought her year's Christmas presents, and she even bought a gift for her husband. When she arrived home, the police were waiting for her. At first, they didn't believe she could do it. She was so petite, you know, she was so ladylike, so feminine. How could she overpower her husband? But after several hours in confession, she uh, confessed. Nope, after several hours of interrogation, she confessed. <laughs> Not in confession. You know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, so she was initially charged with first-degree murder. Uh, tons of rumors went around about why she did it. Uh, insanity, abuse, a scandalous lesbian relationship with her bridge friend. Um, but no one knew, and no one would ever find out, because on March 5th, 1928, before the case could even go to trial, she pled guilty to second-degree murder. Um, so Velma West was sentenced to life in prison. Uh, she was denied parole in 1934. And shortly after, in 1939, she escaped prison with three other prisoners. They were on the run for 36 days, hitchhiking across the country. Um, she and the group of other prisoners made it to Dallas, Texas, before being returned to Ohio. And on October 10th, 1959, at the ripe age of 53, Velma died behind bars. What a very Chicago-esque story, right? That's why I liked this one, was because it gave me very much Chicago vibes. And I mean, you know what? Sometimes you got to hit your head in the husband with a hammer. Like, I mean, that's just, you want to go to your bridge party? Fucking do it, you know? No, I don't condone murder. I'm just going to clarify. But I mean, hey, she still got to go to that bridge party, right? I mean, yeah. Okay, well, on that note, um, yeah. Get ready for a Conspiracy Theory Thursday. That's coming up. It'll be two days. <laughs> Thursday will be the first one. I'm very excited um, about about what I decided to cover. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You'll have to find out for yourself. Um, and yeah, follow me on Instagram. Follow me on YouTube. Well, subscribe on YouTube. Follow me here. Love me. <laughs> I'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>